we got another day of NBA action. And with FanDuel, every night is a watch party. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. So, what's the move tonight, gang? You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Woohoo! We're heating up, fam. Bet all the stars with all your friends and make every moment more only on FanDuel. New customers bet $5, get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every moment more with FanDuel. It goes down in the dim. It go down. It go down in the dim. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus vest that expires seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This episode is brought to you by Skinny Pop Popcorn. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Oh, so light and crunchy. Skinny Pop Original Popcorn is the snack you've been searching for. Made with just three simple ingredients, popcorn kernels, sunflower oil, and salt. Snacking never felt or tasted so good. Perfectly popped, endlessly delicious. Give yourself permission to snack and pick up Skinny Pop Original Popcorn today. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, State Farm knows you personalize your entire day. And that's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Welcome to episode 27 of the podcast. We've got with us on the Brian Rock today, Peter Marsh, as usual. Hello. Hello, Peter. Hi. Myself, Russell Guyver. And we have, making a debut on the show, a uh, listener and friend of ours, Richard Holberton. How are you, Richard? Very well, thanks, Russ. Yeah. Um, yeah. Tolerating, uh, tolerating house arrest. Um, um, so, yeah, pretty well. Thank you very much. Hope so for you. Fantastic. Well, we, we know you from Seagulls Over London. You are a fellow member Ooh. along with us, so we've known yeah. you a while. Um, had a good number of chats with you, decent decent chats over a few beers and whatnot. But what I haven't known before, and what the listeners certainly won't know, in most of them anyway, is uh, about your Albion story. So what we wanted to do in this episode was just go through all the details of you know how you came to be an Albion fan and so on, uh, your memories, etc. And then we'll subject you to our famous quiz later on as well. Uh, I see you quaking already there. <laughs> I am. I am. I've, I've heard your Jeremy Paxman impression many times and it's quite daunting. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's it. Yes, yeah, so I have to press you. Come on. <laughs> well, <that's not>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Well, well, we'll get on to that a bit later. But starting with the Albion story, um, first of all, just to tell us actually where you were born and raised um, and when and where did football form a part of your early memories? Yeah. So, well, I was born in Burgess Hill. Uh, and I, I lived there for um, uh, for 18 years. Um, I'm not going to tell you how old I am now. You can probably work it out from the story in a minute. Um, so, um, yeah, I I, uh, I probably first got interested in football in early to mid 70s, I suppose. Um, and my first acquaintance with live football was watching Burgess Hill Town FC. It was a short walk down the hill from from where we lived. So, uh, yeah, I used to used to pop down there and 
you know, I can't you know, nip through the hedge or something and watch the games. I'm not sure we actually parted with money to watch them. I, don't, I, can't, I can't remember that. Um, and I think I, I think I, would, I must have been quite fickle as a, as a young child because I have must have driven my parents nuts. But I have vague recollections of, you know, that around that time asking for a different football kit every Christmas. So, I, you know, I remember having a I remember briefly being a West Ham fan for, for no obvious reason other than that I quite like the team. Um, I remember. I, I remember the. I, I quite like the Leeds team of the early seventies, um, uh, and I have a vague recollection of being being a, a Chelsea fan as well. And certainly, I had a Norwich kit. I remember that. So, so that that was all kind of for reasons that I've long since forgotten going on in the early seventies. Um, right. And the uh, you know the Brighton story started really, I guess, a bit later. You know, seventy mid mid to late seventies. Um, I can't honestly remember the year of my first game. And, and you know, th- this bit of the story is kind of, you know, a slow burn. We didn't, we didn't go to the Goldstone all that much. I probably only went to a handful of games during that period. Um, but my dad took me along, you know, he, he wasn't, um, he wasn't a great football fan, um, but he, uh, he had a very soft spot for Plymouth Argyle because he was from Devon originally. Hmm. So I, I certainly remember going to watch Brighton v Plymouth, uh, at least once, if not, if not more than once. Um, and, uh, yeah, standing on the, I guess it was the East, East Terrace, was it? The open, open side terrace. And, um, yeah, that's right. You know, although, although it, it wasn't the freak, we weren't frequent fans and it was a very long time ago, you know, I can still sort of remember the, the thrill of standing on, standing on a big terrace and it seemed like a great big organism that had a life of its own. Um, and that would kind of respond to what was going on on the pitch. Um, so yeah, that was that was where it all started. Um, uh, and I will say it's a slightly tenuous connection here. But I, but um, uh, as I said, I grew up in Burgess Hill and went to went to primary school there. And um, the uh, the sister of um, Raymond, the the, the Ditchling gent of the oh, parish, yes. parish, was uh, was one of my primary school teachers. Um, so doubtless she'll be very proud that, you know, I've made it to the giddy heights of the Brighton Rock podcast, you know, after her, <laughs> after her education. So, yeah, that was that, that was kind of the the first part of the first part of the story. And I was I was trying to remember the, you know, the teams from from way back then. And I can't, you know, there's a few players I can remember. I mean, um, Peter O'Sullivan was was one. Um uh, there was a guy called. I don't know, just, just, is this is this before your time, Russ, or not? Or is this? Uh... No, I think I think you were on the same sort of timeline as yeah. me. Born in seventy one, started going mid seventy, uh, late seventy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I can't, you know, this is this is late seventies. As I said, I can't mm. remember the exact years. But it was a, it was a guy. Uh, it was a guy Ian Ian Mellor. I don't know whether you remember. Yeah, Spider Mellor. Yeah, Spider Man yeah. Mellor, who's you know big, yeah. big, big, ungainly kind of forward, but you know yeah. a big trier and became a crowd favourite for it. You know, he wasn't. He wasn't blessed with great touch or great skill as I remember it, but you know, it was a sort of cult hero around that time. Um, Poskett, say uh, Horton, I think. I, I, I certainly have recollections of watching teams with Horton and, and Grealish. I guess that yeah. was a little bit later. Um, uh, and a Peter Ward, of course, who I would, you know, sort of make, I would not, not very controversially, I would make top of that pile, you know, I think. Mm. Um, you know, all-time Albion legend, and you only got to listen to the reception he gets when they present him at the Amex to to hear that quite a lot of people share that view as well. But you know, he was an absolute fantastic player, real real eye for a chance or even a half chance. Um, yeah. And 
you know, still have a recollection of him driving defences to distraction back then. Yeah. Um, so that, so yeah, so that was that was late seventies, um, uh, and then I left for Manchester in eighty two. Went to went to uni in Manchester. Um, was there from eighty two to eighty five, um, which of course includes nineteen eighty three, um, mm-hmm. which is a, a date that I'm sure means something to all your listeners. Um, so I was actually in Manchester when when the cup final that cup final happened, and you know one of those things that you can one of those life events that you can remember exactly where you were when it happened. So, so I remember exactly where I was when Smith must have scored, but didn't. Um, so I was um, sitting in a, sitting in the, uh, a hall of residence in student hall of residence in Manchester, watching the game on a, uh, a pretty crackly black and white TV um, when that happened. And still remember my dismay when that goal didn't go in. Um, um but yeah you know Manchester at least for one weekend Manchester was quite a difficult place to be for a Brighton fan you know the rest of the time nobody really cared you know you got pitied rather than (laughs) rather than treated any differently up there but uh but uh, you know that was there is a kind of Manchester United link to my um uh football and personal life and that was that was the first time that it that it appeared 1983 um and it was only many years later, well, 10 years later, to be precise, um, when I met my now wife, who is from Manchester uh, right. and from, a, from a, a family of fervent Man United fans. Um, and, and one of the stories associated with that is when we lived in London in the late 90s um, and I was out somewhere <clears throat> and she was kind of idly flicking through the TV schedules. And there was one of these, you know, retrospective that was the match that was, or that was the year that was. And she thought, oh, you know, Rich Rich might like to watch that later on when he gets home and pressed record. Um, and what match was it, but the replay of the 1983 cup final, right? So she, she, she sure. swears to this, she swears to this day that it was a completely innocent mistake, but. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll give her the benefit of the doubt. But, you know, I said, uh, yeah, we've seen that movie and we know how it ends and I have no great desire to watch it again. Um, well, I keep watching it to see if it'll end differently, and it hasn't done so far. I'm perplexed. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, keep trying, Russ. You never know. <laughs> you never know. Some something may change. But um, yeah. So uh, so there's a you know we're a we're a household consisting of um, two Man U fans and two Brighton fans. So um, yeah. my 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 eldest son, the, the the red side of the family, got their claws into him early on, and and took him to Old Trafford to watch Ronaldo and Rooney in their prime. Um, so it was trying to kind of win him back from that was a bit of a losing battle, you know, it's kind of Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> getting to support a championship championship team that at the time didn't even have its own stadium was a, was a bit of a losing losing battle, so I stopped that one. Um but yeah, you know, now that and obviously for a long time it wasn't really an issue, but now that we're both in the same division, um, you know, some interesting chats over the kitchen table about Brighton and, mm, Rooney, yeah. and you know, hopefully that will be the case for many seasons to come. Yeah, of course. Unless, of course man, unless, man, you get relegated at some point. Oh, if only. Yeah, in which <laughs> case be nice. so, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing, isn't it? I mean, Peter, you'll probably agree as well that you you hear stories like this all the time of people get married and, you know, there's there's other affiliations in the uh, mm. in the partnership and that can present interesting issues. I mean, your other half isn't into football, is she, Peter? I no. Think. 
But she is, uh, she's a big rugby fan, so I think probably if we have any have any kids, they'll end up being Brighton and Wales rugby supporters. Oh, okay. <laughs> probably will happen, because I'm not too worried about rugby, so probably end up like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That, should, that should be a trouble-free combination. Yeah, sure. and like to ever play each other, so it should be fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, yeah well, I, I, you know, I have to say I have benefited from this in the, you know, um, I suppose it was in the nineties. You know, I was was it? Yeah, late nineties or early two thousands. So, um, you know, I was taken to Old Trafford a few times, and you know, that was they did have some quite good teams. <laughs> to be to be very objective and impartial about this, so. Um, you know, to have the opportunity to watch some of those teams. Was, but I do uh, think the the celebrate the moments, the good moments, are less good if you support a team where you expect them. It's like the the big thing about sporting Brighton is you don't you know things like the promotion to the Premier League is something that I'd never I'd never thought I'd see. Certainly when we were like ninety seven. Yeah, no, it's a, it's, it's a good point, and certainly you know, and this is the purpose of this is not to have a pop at Man U fans, far from it. But um, I can certainly remember going to games there where you know, against lower half of the table teams and certainly some parts of the crowd, there was, you know, a real a sense of sort of entitlement or expectation, mm. you know, that if the team hadn't scored for 10 minutes, they would start getting on the players' backs and mm. giving them a hard time. Yeah. Thought, you, know. <laughs> you should be a Brighton yeah. fan, mate, you know. Every... <laughs> yeah, it's like when Premier League teams moan about coming fifth or sixth over a bad season and you think you've really yeah. not been born. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, go, going back to what I was saying about uh, wives, my other half is again she's not particularly into football. She's she's come along and seen the Albion tons of times, but she wouldn't call herself a fan. A spectator is the word she uses, even though she's been <laughs> distancing herself from it. Yeah, yeah. A spe- spectator and a fan are very different things. Very indeed, different. indeed. Yeah, I think she she gets into it a little bit from time to time. She's been to about sixty grounds. I dragged her around all over the place really? in the. Uh, in the bad old days of the sort of like the late nineties, early noughties. So, uh, okay. you know, she's actually been to a lot of games, but still doesn't feel fully invested. Yeah. Um, okay. But it's weird, isn't it? When it, uh, you know, it comes to, it comes to this, you just think, well, yeah. <laughs> um, I think the, well, we, we get off quite lightly. I mean, you know, the, the, the other part of my wife's family, they, they, they live in Manchester, her sister and, and uh, her husband, you know, they've got, a, their household is divided between Man City and Man U fans, which Ooh. is, Possibly a bit, you know, certainly longer standing and probably yeah. more intense than than Brighton and Man U. Yeah, so, yes, uh, like you hear about the Liverpool Everton and that sort of thing. It's always an interesting yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. Celtic well, it, and Rangers would be a, a very entertaining one. I imagine. Well, we might come to that because uh, I, I, after after Manchester, I moved moved to Glasgow uh, actually. So yeah, well, let, tell I, us about that. I did yeah. actually. Well, the the, the, the yeah. So um, yeah. So I left Manchester in 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 eighty five, and uh, you know. Um, there were still some kind of tenuous Brighton links going on. I mean, I uh, certainly when I was at Manchester, so when I came back to, to, to Burgess Hill for summer holidays and Christmas holidays, so I had a, you know, holiday jobs in, uh, in Hatchard's bookshop in the lanes. No idea whether it's even there anymore. Um, But uh, yeah. And uh, you know, we used to get, I remember uh, Sammy Nelson once of our, once of Albion fame was a, was a customer in there. Um, uh, Steve Ovet, who used to train at the With Dean, obviously oh. way back, used to come in there as well. And um, you know, and he occasionally get into these "What are your claims to fame?" conversations. My, my, and, and I may have misremembered this, but mine used to be: I, I once sold Steve Ovet a book on tropical fish. <laughs> I don't, I, I can't swear absolutely that that's true. I certainly sold him a book on something, but it might not have been tropical fish. Um, He's probably not going to listen to deny it, though, so you're probably okay. Well, I, I think <laughs> I'm probably, yeah, exactly. I don't think, I don't Even if he does listen, I don't think you'll be... Anyone who's going to rush to contradict that one. Um, 
<laughs> but that, you know, that's that's pretty well, you know, part one of of my Albion story, and and uh, you know, as, as far as you know, being a, a match attending fan, nothing of any significance really happened for the next twenty seven years. Um, so I said, I moved, moved, moved to Glasgow, did a post grad up there for a couple of years, including which included Peter. Yeah, I went to a Celtic Rangers game up there, um, which you know, you talk of rivalries. Um, mm. Yeah, there's Liverpool, Everton, there's Tottenham, Arsenal. Brighton Palace and lots of others, but um, yeah, but Celtic Rangers is is in a different league in every sense of the term. Yeah, um, you know, it was absolutely. I can you know, it's undisguised hatred is how I would how I would describe it. Um, mm. And I, you know, I knew people who were who worked in hospitals at that point, and all, all medical all medical leave was cancelled on on the days of a Celtic Rangers game because um, they knew they were going to be busy. Uh, but you know, it was a you know, a life experience. So. Yeah, so I was up, I was up there um, uh, for a couple of years. Finished that in eighty eighty seven, um, and then then yeah, as, as I said, as you know, as as far as Albion supporting and going to games, and nothing much happened then for a long period of time, other than you know moving back to London, uh, getting married, kids, jobs, moving house a couple of times. Um, but um, you know, part part two of the story didn't really start. Well, actually, no, it did. It did start before the Amex opened, but only just. Um, uh, so I, don't, I live in Guildford now. So uh, in, in, I think it was 2010. Um, yeah, it was 2010. Um, Brighton got drawn against Woking in the FA Cup. Don't know whether either of you were at yeah. that game. Um, uh, I wasn't at it, but I remember it. I think we went yeah, to the home. I went to the home game, but not the not the away the replay away from home. Yeah. So well, yeah, Woking's only you know a few miles up the road from here. So uh, so I went to that game, which was notable for not very much apart from the fact that it almost got called off for fog um Tariko was sent off um and we won on penalties um we were largely... behind for quite a while weren't we at one point there was like an extra time or something we were behind at yeah one point. Went, yeah i went to ex- yeah i was trying to remember the order of the goals and i can't quite i mean somebody somebody it was it was two all after extra time and somebody mm. scored very late to make it two all I, I think we were right. Yeah, we were definitely at a one down or two one down, but I can't remember which way round it was. Yeah, I we, yeah. I think I think we might have been two one down, and they equalised late on. And um, yeah, Woking clearly hadn't practiced penalties very much because they were pretty awful at them. And uh, yeah, we won all penalties. Um, so that was it. And then um, yeah, the, you know, since then, you know, I've um, certainly had you know more connection and, and more actual match attendance than I than I ever had in 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 the late seventies. So started going to the Amex in. It was 2011, right? When it first yep. opened. So, um, so my first game there was was one that you know has sort of become infamous. It was against the game against Burnley, where we had two players sent off mm. in uh, 11 minutes or something, um, uh, which was unusual to put it mildly. Um, uh, Vancelot and Barnes and um, yeah played the rest of the game actually reasonably well with with nine men and only lost one nil and very nearly equalized near the end so um so that was yeah yeah it was a great atmosphere at the game and, and I think um yeah, you know, maybe we're coming back to this as a topic I don't know but certainly the, the the I remember the Barnes sending off as a kind of interesting education in how fans view referees decisions because I was sitting in the mm. south stand at the time and you know, had a, had a great view of the incident from about 40 yards away through, you know, goalposts and various other players in the way. And I was absolutely convinced it was a crap decision. And, and along with several hundred other people made my view known 
um, and then watched it watched it back on the highlights later on and it was a, it was a perfect decision it was an absolutely shocking I, I think from memory my my view was that they their guy should have gone as well if fans yes, got gone I agree done. with that their guy retaliated, I think, by grabbing him around the neck and putting. Yeah, him which is what Vancelot got sent off for, effectively. So he should have gone as well. Yeah, I probably. think that's prob- that is probably fair. But yeah, Barnes didn't really didn't really have much defence for what he did. He, he wasn't so, known for his calm temper and um, balanced no, demeanour. Actually, he Barnes. wasn't. He wasn't. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and I've you know I've I've been I suppose I go to about ten games a season now and have done since 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 then. Um, um, I mean, so I guess the, hi- the the highlights of that are probably reasonably obvious. You know, the the the, the Man U game at the end of the first season, we beat one 0 under lights. You know, it was a fantastic occasion, really good. Um, I also remember the first uh, first. I mean, when we played Arsenal in the FA Cup the first time in 2013. The Joe debut, wasn't it? Or was that his yeah, debut? Yeah, and it was one. You know that. I just remember the game very vividly. It's one of those games where you kind of, you just sense from the crowd that everybody was completely engrossed in the game and into it mm. for the first minute. And it was a cracking game. Is that the one with know, the diving header? Yeah. yeah, it was a Joe equalised the diving header. And obviously, you know, yeah. this was, you know, this was back in, the, back in the days before we were beating Arsenal on a regular basis. So it was quite a, <laughs> it was quite a significant <laughs> occasion. And um, I was in the lower, lower, lower tier of the East End that day. So kind of, looking across towards a you know a packed out west stand not a spare seat everybody into the game and i, I just sort of one of those things you for some reason vividly remember i don't know why but at about 70 minutes i kind of looked across to the to the west stand and there was there was wenger giving instructions to um jack wilshire and theo walcott to, to to bring him up and he clearly hadn't intended to bring him on he thought he could get the thing done without you know if we could wrap them in cotton wool and leave them on the bench and i kind of i remember thinking yeah this is that's a good indication of how yeah. far the club has has come. Mm. That, uh, you know, you know, going head to head with Arsenal, and he needs to put his two seasoned England internationals on yeah. to, to win the game, which of course they did. Um, um, and then obviously there was you know the, the promotion season that went, went, went to a few games. Then um, uh, a bit of, you know it was a bit of a side story. We were on, I think the game when famous game when when uh, Pocignoli scored that free kick at QPR. We were on holiday in in the French Alps at the time, and um, there was a guy who ran a bar just up the road from where we were staying, and he had a sort of Sky Sports blackboard outside the bar, and he'd been advertising various games during the week. And I thought, ah, right, yeah. So I went and had a chat with him. I said, "Do you fancy showing Brighton v QPR on?" I think it was a Friday evening, wasn't it? Mm. Um, so I almost, you know, almost ended up begging him to do so, and he eventually agreed. Um, and 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 when the game came about, it was it was. Me, the people in the pub it was me and my wife and two boys and one other family. And I think, you know, we probably bought four beers and two diet cokes. And I don't think he got quite the custom out of my begging that he thought he was going to. But, but it was a fantastic night. I sort of still remember sort of bounding around this bar, celebrating that virtually empty bar, celebrating, uh, celebrating that. Um, and then obviously there was the you know the Wigan game at the end of that season, which you know is <laughs> written into Albion folklore. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah. which wasn't a fantastic game but that's not really the point um and i you know you will remember to my dying day that the pitching well it wasn't really an invasion really was it I mean, it was it was far too good natured to be an invasion yeah. um celebration yeah um so i sort of you know i 
I remember sort of walking up the pitch from the south stand to the north stand and there was this guy lying in the centre circle. Might have been one of you for all I know, I don't know. <laughs> Probably. Sort of, you know, sort of spread eagled looking up to the sky with this sort of, you know, benign grin on his face, you know, as if to say, my work here is done. <laughs> nothing, else, nothing else matters anymore. Um, so, yeah, so that's kind of the story. Um, yeah. I, I, will, I, I will say, and I probably would say this because everybody will say it about their club, but I think... Um, you know, Brighton as a club have done, have done in the in the transition from, you know, going to the with from the with Dean, which held what seven thousand people, to going to the Amex, which was, I don't know what its capacity was when it was open, twenty one thousand. Twenty two, I think, wasn't it? When it opened, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, that's a that's a massive shift in the whole basis of a of a sports club, um, and I think yeah, they you know they must have done loads of market research in the background and had a view on how many people were going to turn up on on the first day. But uh, I think you know as a as a piece of kind of sports marketing, particularly for the occasional fan, someone like me who probably goes to ten games a season, I think they've done a fantastic job. And certainly during that period, we um, uh, I used to be involved in in you know helping run my kids' junior football teams here, and we a few times I'd organised you know back in the days when you could get group group tickets and you could you could get 40 people in on on a coach trip so we organized a few coach trips down here uh, down to the games um uh, and you know the, the the service from you know ticketing stewarding car parking people coach parking people you know it was great and it was clear there was a huge amount of thought had gone into making it a good experience for the occasional fans so they want to go back again um but there was a few memorable games in there as well i mean you know how it is when you organise something and you feel a bit of responsibility to make sure that people enjoy it, right? So the first one was against, I can't remember which year it was, but it was against Leicester in February. Um, Beckford got sent off for them pretty early on for uh, something. Foul I think that was the first later. season, wasn't it? It was like, I think yeah, it was I think the it probably was. Season, I think mm. it was. Yeah. I mean, my main recollection of it was that it was just freezing cold and I was sort of sitting there having brought a coach trip of, you know, 40 kids and a few parents down and, everybody was sort of spent most of the match sitting under blankets, quivering, waiting for something to happen. <laughs> so I was, I was quite, I was quite thankful when we scored a goal in the 89th minute and I want to talk about on the way back. Um, and uh, another one was a game against Huddersfield. I can't, we won four one again. I can't quite remember which season it was. And Ajoa scored a hat trick. Um, yeah. I know exactly when that was. It was yeah, February or March 20, uh, 2013 of second season because I missed it because I was away and it, and it was uh, my mum took my ticket and she has no recollection of the fact that Joe scored a hat trick or anything like that happened and I'm yeah. like I missed the like first hat trick at the Amex and you saw it and you have no recollection of this whatsoever <laughs> that, that you must seem very no unfair interest. Yeah. yeah you have no interest in it and it's like yeah. Yeah, had had you seen it, you'd have remembered every detail of it. Yeah, I still remember quite a lot of it because I've seen video clips of it and that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, it was like the second season that was. Yeah, I mean, my my apart from the hat trick, my main recollection of the game was one of one of the guys that come on our coach with us. I mean, Huddersfield's goal was um was quite a good goal, just sort of improvised overhead kick, and Mm. um you know a mate of mine who was with us on the coach trip who was who was about as um you know, impartial and non-partisan as you could possibly get, um, stood up and started applauding uh, Huddersfield's goal until he realised that, you know, nobody around him was doing the same thing and quite a few people were looking daggers at him. So he, he sat down pretty quickly. But, um, yeah, so, you know, uh, so that's the story. And I, you know, I, I can't, I'm, I've been surprised at, you know, how strong 
I also don't live in the local area anymore and I haven't done since, as I said, since 1982. So although I go back to Sussex for other reasons than, than watching football, actually most of the reason, most of the time I go back to Sussex, it's to watch football. Mm. Um, and, I, you know, I, I like, so it's kind of a, it's sort of a connection with, you know, with childhood and, you know, where mm. I grew up and memories of, you know, my dad taking me to games. Um, and as you know, Russ, because I've met you in Lewis, bumped into you in Lewis Station a couple of times on the way yeah. to games. I don't always go that way. Sometimes I go to the park and ride. But more often than not, you know, my mum lives in Essex. So I'll go and see her, drive to Lewis. And it's a beauty, you know, it's a lovely road, you know, along through Plumpton, yes. yeah, the South Downs yeah. to Lewis, all that way. Um, you know, but it's a big kind of childhood connection for me as well. Because you used to spend loads of time walking out there as, as kids. Um, yeah, I think those... Those memories and certainly those senses in the earlier years as well, you, you, they're really potent, aren't they? They're, they yeah. provide a really strong nostalgic um, connection to the past. I mean, in terms of when you first go to games as well, there's always this thing about your first view of the pitch, um, the, the lush green or the, the smells or the, the, the characters or somebody saying something or pipe smoke or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, what, what were your... In terms of football, what were your memories connected in there as well? Was it was it the sort of the smell of the North Stand toilets, or you know, do you have any of that sort of things? <laughs> I, um, I know you said you. I, 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 you I mean, you're, you, you're right. I mean, that, that 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 does that stuff does stay with you for quite a long time. And, and as I said, I've been I've been since kind of going back to to the Amex in 2011. I've been surprised at just how how strong that you know recalling those kind of senses and emotions has been. But yeah, certainly the. You know, as you walk up to your first view of the pitch when you go to the game, I remember that was a was a big revelation. It just you know how bright and how green the whole thing is, and um, you know back when you know guys were smoking cigarettes on the terrace. That that there's a kind of yeah. distinctive set of smells and, and and noises, and you kind of you just pick up the whole um, sense of the crowd being engaged with the game based on. I mean, you you, know, you could almost shut your eyes at certain points and realize what was going on on the pitch just based on you know what the yeah. crowd was doing and the not yeah, just the words right. but the, the tone of what was being said or you know people groaning or cheering yeah. or whatever it was well it, i think two good points about that i think one is that certain as i said sights or sounds or smells or whatever it is um kind of just pin in a particular memory with a, a certain time as i mentioned on a previous pod that um reap petite i remember playing at Selhurst when i first went first ever away game i went to i think my dad's friend took me and we were sitting in the home end somewhere in the, in the more passive main stand or whatever it was, you know, the less partisan area. Yeah. But we had to sort of sit on our hands a bit. And I was only a kid anyway at the time. But I remember that blaring out and thinking, oh, that's cool. And that sort of associates me with, with South London, even though obviously Jackie Wilson is clearly not from South London. <laughs> you, get those, you get those kind of memories. Yeah, you, yeah, you do. And even to this day, I remember, I think, I think there was a... Townsend Torreson, you know, the shipping company. Yeah, yeah that's right. But you yeah. used to have an advert on one of the top of one of the stands. I can't remember which one now. Um, but, for you know, for some reason, sticks in your mind, even though it was, what, 40 years ago or something. Like more than yeah. that. Yeah, um, that's it. British Caledonian. Or British Caledonian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, things like that. And it's, it is quite intriguing how that, just as I said, just really locks you in to a certain memory of a time or a place. Um, yeah, it does. And I think, you know, when you... Yeah, football has changed enormously obviously over over that period of time and I think it's kind of it's kind of almost only when you recall that set of experiences and senses and so forth from going to football 
pre-Sky, pre-Premiership, pre-all-seating, all that kind of stuff, that you realise just how different it was. It was a, it was a much more... Uh, it was a very sort of visceral experience, how I remember it. You know, big open terrace standing up. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so that's, that's, that's gone in the history. Oh, the yeah. other thing... Yeah, and uh, the other thing... Yeah, kind of is in, in sort of credit to the club. So my... Uh, my younger son, the one, who, the one who didn't get kind of hauled into the clutches of the Man U hordes, um, <laughs> has, has been a, has been a mascot at the game a couple of times, um, right. which has been quite good fun. And again, you know, fantastically, you know, fantastically treated by by people when you get to you know photos with the players and sit in the press conference room and all that kind of stuff. And you know, good experience. Yeah, and the club really does look after people, doesn't it? On match yeah, day, absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was I was a bit worried the second time he did it, which was against um, against Reading. Again, I forget the year. We won three nil, but um, he, he, he'd been a bit under the weather that week, and I was a bit worried he was going to throw up on someone in the handshake line or something like that. But um, luckily, <laughs> luckily that didn't happen. Um, safely avoided. Well, that's, that's a relief, isn't it? <laughs> safely avoided. Yeah, I think they might have edited that out of the TV coverage if it had happened, but it, but it didn't. Yeah. Yeah, hadn't like, um, who was it, that guy we had on loan from Man U? That James Wilson. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wilson, yeah. That was, that was yeah. unsavoury, wasn't it? <laughs> it was unsavoury. It was quite vivid as well, as I remember. It was a sort of, was, yeah. you know, beetroot pink. You know, I don't know what he'd been drinking or eating before yeah. the game. But, yeah. It could have been worse, of course. We could have seen the Gary Lineker um, short <laughs> incident. Uh, yeah. close to couldn't we back in the day that would have been yeah fun. nobody nobody <laughs> wants to see that do they yeah. <laughs> we, we can we can find that kind of thing to the away dressing room don't we isn't it <laughs> that's right exactly exactly <laughs> uh dear palace po- coach drivers eh uh at least they yeah. finally admitted it so, well we've so I've been to a few games this season not uh you know five, i think five um mm. um you know some good some less good as, as has been well rehearsed on your podcast I had tickets for the Man U game in early April, which obviously didn't happen. Yeah, which, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, would have been good, good talking fodder for the household, but you know, maybe another day. We've we've yeah. still not managed to uh, be having a podcast while we've won, which is considering. To be fair, we can't really be blamed for the coronavirus cancellation, but <laughs> we've still yet to win in twenty twenty. No, I don't think you can the, personally be blamed for any of it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, uh, it would be nice, wouldn't it? You know. More fun yeah. talking about a victory than, than you know... Uh... Well, I wouldn't know, to be honest. There was a point where it must have been last season. So you, so I remember going to the Man U game last season when we beat them 3-2, didn't we? Yeah, uh, we did, yeah. For yeah. That first home game, I think that which, was. Which was. Yeah, it was very early in the season. And then um, that might have been the only victory that I saw last season, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and certainly it was... I think it yeah. probably was actually. We didn't have many. Certainly after the second, after Christmas, we didn't have many. No, we didn't. Uh, you know, went to went to a couple of absolute howlers. Southampton at home sticks in the memory as being a. Oh yeah, that wasn't wasn't. Yeah, really I, I managed to miss both Southampton and Bournemouth home. If that's not a contradiction, which um, was pretty good last year, I managed to miss both Southampton and Bournemouth home last season. Both yeah. of which I was quite pleased about, but I did get a Cardiff home, which was. Oh, did well, you? Dreadful. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Well, I made up for it. You there, Peter? Yeah. But no, you know, it's been a, it's been a bit of a bit of a bit of a mixture of a season. I, mean, I certainly said on one of your one of your earlier podcasts. I remember somebody saying, you know, we actually started started pretty well and got a lot of plaudits for, mm-hmm. you know, adopt, trying to adopt a more expansive and more adventurous style of play. Um, you know, didn't necessarily produce immediate results, but it was certainly better to watch. Um, 
Uh, so, you know, I remember it was at the Tottenham game. We won 3-0, which was a, you know, very satisfactory afternoon. Yeah, um, yeah, that was great. Everton, we beat, didn't we? So yeah. we that game as well. Which... Slightly more fortunate that day. We're kind of like... Well, a lot, a lot more fortunate. But I, I still remember the write-ups after that and thinking, you know, it was written up as a pretty mediocre game. I thought it was... I thought, I thought it was a bit Quite better. Quite entertaining, than, yeah. A lot it happened. Better, yeah, it was better than mediocre. But yeah, we were a bit lucky. Um, but I mean, I think the first half of the season, the problem was we played really well, but then we actually didn't get the results probably we deserved or should have got anyway. Maybe not deserves wrong because we didn't like, we weren't unlucky. We just didn't take our chances. Yeah. And then that put more pressure on and then nerves came took us over. And actually that run in January and February, we didn't play very well at all generally. We played okay at Sheffield United, I thought. We had a pretty good game there and deserved a point. And actually okay at Wolves, but at the home games where we should have got better results like Villa and... And yeah. Watford and Palace, we were pretty poor generally, I thought. Yeah, and you wonder whether, you know, I think if you're trying to, if you're trying to adopt a completely different style of play or an approach, you know, that, that doesn't happen overnight and there are going to be bumps in the road when you do it. Um, and I suppose what you've got to try and do is instill enough confidence in that approach and that enough belief in that approach mm. to, to, to kind of persist with it, even when there are games when it doesn't produce results or or things don't go very well but you know there have been some peculiar games I mean you mentioned the Villa one as well I thought you know we, overall we didn't play that well but there seemed to be quite a big difference in in cohesion and energy yeah. between the first half and the second half for some reason. yeah I thought we controlled the first, the first half without half. being great but then second half they were they were a better team I found it very odd actually that they scored and they were on top and then they stopped they kind of sat back and held on for a draw I thought whereas actually if they come at us and um, yeah they come up, yeah, basically, I thought they'd have a real go at us. And then they kind of sat back and held on to the point when they probably had better chance of winning, to be honest, if anything. Yeah, possibly. Uh, yeah, mm. possibly. Well, um, we'll probably talk a little bit more in uh, part two of this podcast about your thoughts on the season and also about the transition from Hewton to Potter. I um, want to get your views on that, Richard. And, of course, we've got the dreaded quiz coming up as well. So we'll go all that coming back in part two. In the meantime, we'll take a short break and we'll see you or speak to you again in just a moment. Look forward to it. Okay, welcome back to part two of episode 27 of Brighton Rock, an Albion podcast with me, Russell Guyver, with my cohort, Peter Marsh. Hello, Peter, again. Hello, again. And we're still with Richard Holberton as well. How are you, Richard? Still still holding up well and looking forward to the quiz? Yeah, I'm a bit apprehensive about the quiz. I don't mind telling you. But um, yeah, but otherwise, yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, well, well, we'll see how you do. I mean, Robin's challenging target of 14 is going to be hard to beat. Mm. Peter himself and Josh are on 11. Pammy is on 8. I'm yet to take a quiz. Uh, so you'll be, I think, somewhere in the middle is, is going to be my guess. We'll see how you get on in a short while. Before we do that, just finishing off our discussion about the Albion, uh, we started talking in part one about how things are going this season. I've mentioned a few games. Um, what are your thoughts, though, Richard, on... Well, Hewton's departure, because we haven't got your opinions on air mm. on that, um, the timing and the decision itself in general, did you approve of any of that? And either way round, what are your thoughts on Graham Potter since he's come in? Yeah, I, um, I, like a lot of people, I think I had pretty mixed feelings about Hewton's departure. Um, you know, I think when you think of it in the... There's different ways to think about it, right? But you think about it in the context of 
you know, the club's only been in the, the top tier of English football for, what is it, seven years of its history or something, seven seasons mm. of its history. And, yeah. you know, and Hooton was responsible for three of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when he joined, um, there was a serious possibility of being relegated to League One. So, yeah, there's a big part of me. And, and, you know, he's a palpably decent bloke, right? And yeah. I, know pl- I know plenty of people who support other teams who had, nobody had a bad, nobody's had a bad word to say about Chris Hewton. You know, it's just people say in, a, in, a, in an industry where decent blokes are, by, you know, on, <laughs> on some versions, not that common. He was one of them. So, um, you know, from that perspective, I was, I was sad about it and it felt harsh, but I think, I think looking back on it, um, you know, th- there's no getting away from the fact that the second half of last season was was pretty pretty poor in mm. terms of yeah, not just results but watchability and entertainment value. And I think um, you know somewhere in there, there's an interesting debate about how lower half Premier League clubs approach the whole thing, right? So do you kind of season after season after season take a highly organised attritional um, approach and accept that you're going to lose 2-0 to the top six all the time um, or do you you know take the ball by the horns and try and be a bit more ambitious about things knowing that there is a risk that that might backfire or that you might get relegated because let's face it that's an occupational hazard for 14 of the 20 teams or 13 mm. if you want to be generous to Everton um, so you know I I, I kind of i it felt harsh, but I admire the club for, for taking the step uh, of doing that. Um, and I, you know, on the whole, I like what Potter is, is trying to do. I mean, there, there've been some, uh, I think some sacrifices in terms of defensive solidity, you know, because a lot of, a lot of what we achieved under Hooton, a good part of it, I think was based on, you know, particularly the Duffy and Dunk partnership in yeah. the middle of the defense, but mm-hmm. a kind of real, you know, they shall not pass kind of mentality. And I think once you would, once you have a more play out from the back, a more expansive style of play, you try and encourage your centre-backs to bring the ball out, um, you know, which is presumably why he prefers Webster to Duffy most of the time. You know, that, that carries more risk with it. Um, and there are going to be times when it doesn't work. But, I, you know, I think that, you know, in, in in any kind of sporting context, when you're trying to overhaul the way you approach it and the way you play something, it doesn't happen quickly. It doesn't happen overnight. And there are going to be setbacks. Hmm. But I think um, my view is we should persist with it, e- even in the event of being relegated. Yeah, yeah I agree. Really, assuming I agree that there is you. such thing as relegation yeah. this season. I, no, I agree with you there. I think that's, <laughs> I think that's yeah, all, all seems fair enough. There's no point going for a, taking a risk on someone like Potter if you then go down and get rid of him and especially yeah. when you've given him such a long contract as well yeah well there's that I remember reading a piece that was in uh, like when Saturday comes or one of these football magazines and it was a sort of I think it was written by a West Brom fan when they were in the Premier League and he, and he was, it was almost a lament for you know it, 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 is this what it means to be a bottom half Premier League team that mm. season after season after season you just it's just a kind of batten down the hatches, attritional style of football. Um, and the, the highest thing you can hope for in any given season is to avoid relegation. And I think, 
there comes there, there comes a point, you know, maybe Brighton fans would have put up with that for a bit longer. I don't know, but there does come a point where that that's quite it's quite hard to just persist. Yeah. And there's no guarantee that it's going to succeed anyway. I, I mean, I think that's where the Hewton decision was taken because I think the risk of going down was higher if we did nothing than, yeah. if, we did th- than if we did something. I think the sec- I think if we'd been seventeenth or that sort of area all season and been pretty consistent, they've been well second second season syndrome. You know, it's kind of it's quite hard second season. Everyone knows players like Grosh will be well known. We had a few more injuries. Give Hewton another season, or whatever. But because we were doing pretty well at Christmas, really, although a number of the results were ones we ground ground out when we were a bit lucky to win, like those three one nils in a row where other teams did everything but score, and Ryan yeah. was in probably the best form he's ever been in for Albion. Yeah. But yeah, I think it, I think the, the fact that then we had such a dreadful run the second half of the season just pushed it, tipped it against him really, and he didn't seem yeah. to have any idea how to change that. I think what Richard was saying just now um, brought to mind in my head the, the word Stoke and City in terms yeah. of changing from this rigidity that's working well. They changed, and okay, not immediately, but they did sink and eventually end up going down, having changed their style a bit. I don't think it's quite as simple as that. There's a bit more nuances to it. But I think the difference with Stoke to what we were doing is that Stoke were were safer a year on yeah. year when they were doing the other system. Yeah, they were mid-table when they were doing that, yeah. Exactly. As Peter, you've said, obviously, huge, and we were, we were flying close to the wind anyway. It didn't look like things were going to change. Yeah. So you could see us still struggling, even though we're having the less entertaining I mean, format. In all honesty, in the end, we only stayed up because Cardiff failed to beat either Fulham yeah. away or Crystal Palace home in their, in their yeah, last yeah, exactly. three games. Yeah, That's yeah, the only reason we stayed up. Yeah, so it was real, skin, real skin of the teeth, kind of. It yeah, was, it was, and I think I think it is a balancing act. I think for a club like Albion, who who are still in the earlier stages of being in the top flight and struggling to survive a bit there, we had to change things from what we were doing. And it is about getting a balance between solidity and being difficult to beat, yeah. coupled with entertainment. I think that's pretty much where Graham Potter's philosophy sits. There are times, though, I think he's probably gone a bit like United away. We went at them in a way that was probably just playing into their hands. Going away was, to a counter-attacking team and yeah. just throwing men forward was probably unwise. That was naive, wasn't yeah, it? And, and yeah. Although we missed our chances against Palace at home, Palace with the counter-attacking, it was the same yeah. thing, wasn't it? Um, a lesser team, of course. But nonetheless, teams can get us get at yeah. us. But we had to have a go at Palace at home, in fairness. That was the only way we could be. Yeah, we couldn't true, really. True. But United away, you could understand a bit more caution. I mean, they, they it was 3-1 in the end, but they could have won. I mean, they missed some really... United missed yeah. some absolute sitters that day. It could yeah. have been six or seven on that game. And keep, keeping the Stoke analogy going on, they went for an established manager, not, in my opinion, a very good one, but he was an established manager who had Premier League experience. Um, we're going for one who hasn't had any Premier League experience. Yeah. He's, he's come in and obviously he's going to make mistakes like the naivety at Old Trafford. That's going to happen along the way. However, it's about learning from those mistakes quickly enough and continuing to strike that balance well enough to allow us to stay in this division and grow and learn from mistakes, which I'm confident we still can do. Yeah. However, it's a balance, isn't it? It's, it's risky. It's, it is, and it's, quite, it's, it's a very fine balance as well. And there may, there, may be, there may be games or even periods in games where you have to kind of revert back to the, you know, yeah. real kind of rigid, organised, backs-to-the-wall period. If the other team has momentum for yeah. 15 or 20 minutes, you may have no choice but to play like that. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I kind of think, I think a couple of the couple since we've been in the Premier League, there, there's a couple of games against Man City that kind of capture the dilemma. I mean, the first mm. one was the very first Premier Premier League game at home, where you know it was two banks of four, be organised, compress the yeah. space, and hope we'll get away with a draw or something. And then 
you know, and I think somebody lost the ball on the halfway line after 70 minutes yeah, and they yeah, scored another. Yeah. And you know, it's very hard to play an entire game that way because it's, it's, you know, you're knackered apart from, I think part of the reason we lost the ball is that it was just, it was just exhausted from chasing shadows yeah. for 70 minutes. And I, and then, I found that a fascinating game, that first match, because it was it was kept thrown right into the lion's den. Yeah. I know we were at home, but you know what I mean. They, you know, it's the toughest possible challenge. Yeah. We, I thought, rose to it pretty well, as well as we could. As you said, we got tired later in the game. And it's about concentration levels, mental strength, mental, yeah. mental fitness. Um, and the fact that teams at that level, particularly at the top end, will punish mistakes so cruelly. I think they had three mistakes, scored two goals. Yeah, uh, was true. And that and, 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 and he did score yeah. as well. Yeah, and the contrast of you know the, with the game was it this season? Yeah, we lost four 0 against uh, away. Yeah, and got a lot of credit and a lot of praise from the pundits for trying to play a slightly more adventurous style of football. Yeah, um, but lost four 0 instead of losing two 0 mm. having played a more attritional style of football. So there, yeah. there's the there's the dilemma captured right there in two yeah. games. Seems to but, be. Then, guess, yeah, but then the turnaround oh, is the win at Arsenal, where we probably wouldn't yeah. have won under yeah. Hewton because we'd have probably sat back a lot more. And so it's yeah, yeah. Well, and I think I think you know when you're trying to implement a new style of playing, having the reward from getting results like that, where you play in that new expansive mm. style and you win away at Arsenal, you know that's a big statement and a big kind of belief boost. I think in yeah. the players that. You know, you can play that way and still win at the top teams. Well, it's a bit, it's a bit of EU dares wins, Rodney, isn't it? You know, it's kind of, it's doing it at the right moment. So it's doing it. It's doing it at the right moment. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, it, it, you know, there's a kind of, uh, I think, you know, the, the way power and money is being concentrated over, you know, many years in the Premier League, you can, any one of 14 teams in any, good, any given season could get relegated, right? Mm. They yeah. just have a bad run of results, a few injuries, or something mm. goes wrong for them. But that that could just happen. Um, yeah. But I, I I support the club for kind of being adventurous enough to, as you say, who dares wins to give it a go. Um, yeah. I think kind have... of in, kind of in the knowledge that playing in a nutritional way is no guarantee of staying up anyway. Yeah. Exactly. I think if we played Tutan's way consistently we'd have gone down eventually. You know, it might not yeah, have been this so. season, it might have been next season, season after. But it just mm-hmm. it just left just had so it relied so much on Murray basically scoring the goals. And Murray yeah. wasn't going to be able to carry on forever. So they've had to find someone else who was willing also, to come into I, a club. I also like, think there's something about, you know, if you've got you know, you've got a group of elite level players, some of whom are you know, some of whom may be more defensive minded anyway, but there'll be a proportion who are you know, attack-minded and want to express themselves and want to show their skills and want to play that way. If you, you know, there's a bit of me that thinks if you stifle that over a very long period of time, it's going to backfire on you anyway. Mm. Yeah. And it is about, as I say, keeping in this division, growing in confidence and consistency and slowly growing the strength of the squad and allowing that organic um, development to happen, isn't it? It's, it's getting a load of tentacles all kind of growing together in the right way and being able to at least be one of the better players within that 14 team category. Yeah, I mean, you know, for, you guys have watched more games than I have this season, but certainly from, you know, the ingredients of being able to do that. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about the need for a, a new striker, mm. or another striker, which I agree with. But there have also been a lot of occasions in games that I've seen where, you know, we've built from the back, we've got to 35 yards out or something like that from their goal. And then, you know, on numerous occasions, 
the attack breaks down, a pass mm -hmm. goes astray, or the player with the ball hasn't got enough options available to him, or can't quite pick the right option at that point. So it's mm. the stage before the, the you yeah. know the striker or a striker would have the chance yeah. to, to to pounce. Yeah, somehow. I, yeah, I totally agree with that because it's too simple just to say we haven't got the strikers. Because Malpe actually has done okay for a first yeah, season yes. in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's often as often the final ball, the final, the wrong decision. Some way should someone shoots rather than crossing, or vice versa, or yeah. Yeah, it's also, um, someone it's, who could, you know, at that at that position, 35, 40 yards out, can inject a bit of pace or yeah. do something imaginative just to yeah. unlock a defence that is by that stage quite well organised. Um, you know, I think I think Basuma could become that player. Yeah. Well, hopefully McAllister as well. If they, I want, if they you know, I also up. wonder, you know, I'm not, you know, Alzate I really like, and he can play in lots of different positions, which is part of the reason I like him. But I think he could possibly develop that ability as well. Yeah. I think his 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 skills and his control and his touch are good enough to do it. Yeah. Well, the other, the other element I was going to say is cohesion and consistency of a team, yeah. understanding. That also will help that, won't it? As, as a greater number of our uh, team stays together, forms partnerships, forms understandings yeah. across and around the field, yeah, that will point. help in itself and also in particular in regards to the striker situation you've just been talking about there. Yeah, um, that's but, a good point. Yeah, it's not I, just a new style of play, it's different playing yeah. personnel as well. So it, yeah, those, I, those things take time to bed in. In a way, this is where the frustration is though, because you feel we're so close to a team who could be doing mid-table, mid you're certainly, if, you know, maybe even if a support comes off, we could even have that. I mean, you know, if, if they can get Malpe scoring one or two more, could they recreate more chances for him? We may not even need that striker if McAllister can, you know, really sort of start or Trossard can do what he looked like he could do first, you know, first off. It's yeah. just that. It's those, those games early in the season may come back to haunt us where we just couldn't quite get Palace away where we were absolutely dominant for, yeah. 70 minutes and only got that one goal. West Ham home, we were dominant for most of the game. Um, Burnley home, we were all over them. Newcastle away, we dominated without really creating that many chances. And, you know, it kind of, we've had so much of the ball. That's mm. the thing. It's not, yeah. I, I think it, 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 it's not, it doesn't seem to me as if we're sort of spurning lots and creating and then not converting yeah. loads and loads of chances. It's, you know, yeah. you, get, you get one nil up and then there isn't a whole, there isn't mm. a kind of torrent of chances being created after that that yeah. would, you know, think, well, you convert one of them and you're 2-0 you up and it's a lot more comfortable. Yeah, um, and, that's, and that turns around to also, if we go 1-0 down, we struggle to break teams down. When they put, you know, a, a, four, they have the two banks of four or whatever and they sit deep, we yeah. struggle to break teams down when they're one. Or yeah, you always you, feel when we go one down, we're, we're, we're playing for a draw at most. Yeah, because you then get the counter-attack scenario again, don't yeah. you? Where we're vulnerable, certainly. Yeah. Well, interesting stuff. We'll chat a little bit more when we, um, Richard, you're going to join us in uh, our next episode, episode 28 as well, where we'll also be joined by the Ditchling gents, Raymond. Um, so more chats on that later. But for now, on this episode, I wanted to now revert attention to the excitement, the fun, the extravaganza that is the Brighton Rock quiz. Are you ready, Richard, for your 15, uh, well, your, your 11 questions, potential 15 points? I'm, I'm as ready as I'll ever be, Russell. So Excellent. Well, I know you're a, a keen and regular listener, so you'll know the format. But just quickly, for anybody that is listening for the first time, run through what we do. Um, there's some general football knowledge uh, for 10 questions, um, some of which will be Albion related. And then the 11th question has a potential for five points if you get the answer after the first clue, uh, descending in values as you go down through the clues. We'll see how you do with that. Um, but starting off, question one, are you just, ready? Well, yeah, yeah, I am. I've just been joined by my pet dog. I'm not sure he's going to be able to help me. But <laughs> Well, we don't want to be cheating. Right 
as long as he's not checking internet for you. Yeah. <laughs> I've got you up, um, we're, we're doing this on Zoom, so I can see if you're looking at uh, any other devices here, so I'll be keeping a VDI up. <laughs> but um, here we go then with question one when you're ready. Yep. All set? Okay, question one is, to which TV theme, theme even, um, do Everton and Watford both walk out to for their home games? I think I know this. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Zedcars. You're correct. One out of one. Good start. He's put it straight in the back of the net. I'm very on Albion. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on to number two. How many times have Arsenal won the FA Cup? They are the record holders for numbers of wins. But how many times have they won it? It did get mentioned, actually, on a recent episode. Um, but uh, you may not remember it. It was also a question on who wants to be a millionaire the other week. Oh, was it? Might have been an old episode that I was re-watching. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say 13. You are correct again. He's off to a flyer. Well done, sir. Two out of two. Question number three, then. What was Sunderland's nickname prior to being called the Black Cats? I have to confess I didn't know this until I um, did a bit of research. It's a tough one. You might be able to guess it. You might be able to make an educated guess, put it that way. Okay. Um, it's not the stripes, I'll give you that as a clue. <laughs> so their previous nickname before the Black Cats, which I think they adopted when they moved to the new stadium. What, the Black Cats they adopted? Yeah, they? I think so. Uh, I, I'm going to have a wild guess because I, I was at uni with a big Sunderland fan. Is it the Mackles? No, I, I think was uh, that's a pretty edu good educated guess. That is a, a name they're known by in general, but um, the official specific nickname was the Rokerites. Not very creative. Really? But, uh, I've only yeah. ever heard the Mackhams. I've never heard of the Rokerites. Yeah, I think that's more of a generic term for the, um, for the people of the area. But uh, I think people are ref referred to Sunderland fans as Mackhams, but not in the uh, official sense. So, um, yeah, it was the Rokerites. But two out of three, not bad so far. We move straight on to number four. Um, who scored... The second goal when Albion beat Liverpool 4-0, uh, not 2-0, I wish it was 4-0, 2-0 in the fourth round of the 1984 FA Cup. So fourth round of the FA Cup, 1984, Albion 2, Liverpool 0, the Goldstone. Jerry Ryan scored the first one, but who scored the second goal for Albion a minute after that first goal, actually? 1984. Yeah. Think of your classic names of that era there, Richard. Yeah. It wasn't a weird one. It wasn't a fullback or anything. Hello. Was it Robinson? It wasn't. No, not, not that game. It was uh, Terry Connor. Yeah. Terry Connor. Terry Connor. Do you know that, Peter? Yeah, I was going to say Terry Connor. Uh, I think I've seen it on clips and something. Yeah, it was quite a, yeah. good, quite a goal from quite, like, he ran through quite a long way, didn't he? Or... That's right. Apparently it was on, um, I think it was on rerun on somewhere, BT Sports or somewhere the other day. I didn't see it, but I'd seen it before. But yeah. Okay, well, two out of four. Not a bad score so far. We move on to question five. And which one of these is not a known Albion fan? This is the list. It's Fatboy Slim, Des Lynham, newsreader John Snow, football voiceover regular Dave Beckett, comedian Tim Vine, the late great commentator Peter Brackley, who used to do the Football Italia stuff, amongst others, or TV presenter Jules Breach. Um, so I'll read that list again. Which one of these, is only one, is not an Albion fan? So it's Fatboy Slim, Des Lynham, Jon Snow, Dave Beckett, Tim Vine, Peter Brackley, or Jules Breach. Any ideas on that one? Hmm. Well, I know a few that it isn't. 
yeah. including the first two, obviously. Yeah. Um, Is Tim Vine a bright fan? I'm going to guess Jon Snow. Oh, we just hit the post with that one. It was Tim Vine. Yeah, it was Tim Vine. Vine. Yeah, he's a United fan. Apparently, Alan Pardew is as well, uh, which puts a dampener on that, doesn't it, really? But uh, yeah, Tim Vine um, is uh, a Sutton fan. Uh, Jon Snow at least once did claim he was an Albion fan and was supposedly putting a seagull's tie on for a, a news bulletin. Um, work shift, I think, at one point, but he, he never did. But uh, apparently, repeatedly, he is an Albion fan. Yeah, yeah. Unlucky on that one. We're on two out of five. Still plenty of points to be accrued here, potentially. We move on to question six. Which EFL club play their home games at Adams Park? Adams Park? Yeah. He's got the ball at his feet. He's lacking a bit of confidence after hitting the post just now, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Can he put this one in the net? It's a league... Yes, I think they're a League One club at the moment. They are. Yeah, that's right, is it? Yeah. yeah. We have played there in the past. I've seen them play there. Hello. Mansfield. Well, it's worth a go. Um, but it's not, no, I'm afraid it's Wickham Wanderers. Okay, I think you'll probably get this one. Um, number seven, who won the FA Cup final in 1982? I should, I can give you a clue, it's an FA Cup final replay to be more specific. There, so it's FA Cup final 1982. Who were the eventual winners? 1982, uh, yeah. that was that was the Ricky Villa goal, wasn't it? Spurs. Uh, it, it, yeah, it, um, is that your answer? Yes. Yeah, you are correct. It is Spurs. Um, it is uh, from a replay, but it was against QPR. I'm trying to remember yeah, I think, if that was. No, I think the year before was the Ricky Villa one. Tottenham won it two years in a row, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was a thing about they always won it years beginning, ending in yeah. one at one point, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, that was what made me hesitate. Yeah. yeah. They won, they, I think they, the Villa goal was 81 when they beat Man City. City, City, yeah, yeah. and then they beat QPR the next year as well. Yeah, okay. so you got the answer right. It was who won yeah. it. You're correct at Spurs. So there we go. You're up onto three, Richard. As we move on to question eight, who are? Just think about this before answering too quick as well. Who are the current, as it stands, Belgium league champions? That's not related to whether or not Belgium have decided to cancel this season's um, title. This is related to who won last season. The, the proper last season. Current Belgian League champions. Yeah. Yeah. So think think Champions League this year to kind of refresh your memory on this. I don't know that many Belgian teams. There's a couple of teams playing in the Champions League. I think it was two teams from Belgium. I think so did, yeah. if you clock that, you're on a 50-50. <laughs> do you know the answer, Peter, out of interest? I do, yeah. Also, by that look on your face, yeah. <laughs> Calm satisfaction in knowing it, eh? I will go with FC Brugge. Oh, it, was, it wasn't, I'm afraid, no. That was a decent effort if you weren't sure. Yeah, but It, it was, it was um, Genk, wasn't it? Indeed. Yeah. Genk. Yeah, Kossard slot. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Uh, so, yes, that's it. Right, we're on three out of eight. A few more to come. Let's see how we carry on with this. He's looking nervous now. <laughs> You're a tough taskmaster, Mr. Giver. Well, you know, you know, I've got to try my best. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, which again, this you can relate this to Champions League as well, potentially of recent years. Which European team play their home games at the San Paolo Stadium? So, which European team play their home games at the San Paolo Stadium? Um, it's not a trick question in terms of the name, it is probably from the part of Europe you're likely to think of when you see that name. Can probably give one clue if you're struggling. Have you got an idea? Yeah, but I would welcome. I'd welcome a clue if you're prepared to <laughs> offer one. Okay. Well, shall we say um, it's it's from Italy. I can I can let you know it's an Italian team um, who have been involved in the Champions League in recent years. Um, can't say any more than that though. And uh, it's the San Paolo Stadium. Could possibly say they featured in a documentary not too long ago as well, if that helps. No, it doesn't. No. <laughs> uh, Roma. Uh, decent effort, but it's it's actually Napoli. Napoli. Yeah, yeah, the San Paolo Stadium. Oh. Yeah, there we go. Are you, thinking right. of, are you referring to the Maradona film? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Good film. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good film actually, wasn't it? Yeah. Very good film. Uh, I, I think that guy always does good football documentaries. I think he should do one on the Albion's uh, recent history as well. So, somebody we should, certainly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I might campaign to get him to do it. There's, there's material, plenty right? of material anyway. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there certainly is, isn't there? You can make a whole yeah. series. Yeah, indeed. Right, okay, well, here we go. That's what we're doing, off. isn't it? <laughs> 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 what is it? Recent football uh, history question, this one. It's the missing link round. Which name is missing from this list of England scorers at the 2018 World Cup. So I'm going to read out, read out a list of names. There's only one missing. What is the missing name? So these, these are the scorers I'm going to tell you. Harry Kane, John Stones, Jesse Lingard, Harry Maguire, Kieran Trippier. That could have been the tricky one, but I've put that one in there. And then one other person scored a goal for England at this tournament. So it's the 2018 World Cup. England scorers. The full list is Harry Kane, John Stones, Jesse Lingard, Harry Maguire, Kieran Trippier, and Richard, which other person? Give you a moment to think about this as well. Again, it's not the most obscure of names. Yeah. Um, I must So Trippier scored in the semi-final, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Scoring Kane scored loads. Yeah. Sterling? Sorry, who? Sterling. 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 It's not, no. It's (laughs) Deli Alley. (laughs) Deli Alley. Oh, of course. Against. um, Against. I heard this somewhere else as it happens, and um, I got I got it wrong. I said the same thing you did. (laughs) Um, It's uh, against Sweden, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. I I was thinking, Ali, only because um, I've seen Robert Sterling getting a lot of criticism for not scoring, and you got a lot of abuse at the um, World Cup. He played pretty well, but then just couldn't quite score. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, That's it. Right. Okay, then, Richard, we're on to the final bit, the Who Am I rounds. Question at the uh, the 11th question of sorts. Five clues, uh, five points could boost your score up significantly from your current total of three. 
if you can get on the first go. I'm confident you can do it. Yeah, I think you can do this, Richard. Uh, we've got, got to save the day here. So I'm going to give you the first clue, see if you can get it on the first one. I am a 71-year-old former player and manager. My clubs as a player includes the Albion. So 71 years old now. His former clubs as a player included the Albion. And he himself is well known as a player and, and to a certain extent as a manager. Um, he's, I think he, I don't know what he's doing at the moment. He might be uh, an assistant somewhere. 71 uh, year old. Yeah. So if you, if you can start to date that in terms of the Albion. So it's the kind of player you may have mentioned earlier on in the... Uh, It'd be that era, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the one of the teams he managed was the Albion, but didn't necessarily play for. Is that what you said? Um, he played for us as yeah he did yeah. So he's a seventy-one year old former player and manager for various clubs. His clubs as a player include the Albion. Um, okay. He may he may have managed the Albion as well. I can't tell you if he did or not because that might be another clue later, which in itself could be a clue. <laughs> Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe not. Oh, go on. I'm, I'm going to give you the clue. He did manage us as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he's a former player and manager of the Albion. And he's 71 years old. Still alive and kicking. Mickey <laughs> uh, Thomas. No, no, it's not Mickey Thomas. No. Okay, we'll move on to the next clue then. I started my career with Hensford Town, Hensford Town, and finished at Hull City in 1986. Playing career. That's the playing career, yeah. yeah. So after he left us, he only had, um, I think he was, I think, I don't know when he left us actually without rechecking the details. I think three years earlier, maybe two, 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 three years earlier. He left us, I can't remember now. Yeah. It was no, might have, no, he probably left us, might have left us earlier. Um yeah, so um I can say his other former clubs he he also managed, I think, Macclesfield. Um and I think he managed Port Vale, to think of a couple of other clubs off the top of my head. So he's 71 years old, former player and manager for various clubs, also player and manager for the Albion. He started his career at Hensford, finished it at Hull City in 86. His other former clubs include Port Vale and Macclesfield. Don't know, mate. No? We'll have to move on. Okay. All right. So the next clue is um, he was, as a player, he was a midfielder. So um, just think of think of. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, something flipped out on the Zoom. I didn't hear most of that. All right. So um, yeah, third clue is he's a midfielder. So if you think of. Um, oh, is that the clue? Right, I did hear that. That's one. the clue. Yeah, so he's a midfielder. <laughs> that's all it was. That was all. Oh, right. I thought it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he, yeah, he's he's synonymous with the Albion. I would say probably as much as or more than any other club, if that would help. So so he's a stalwart in midfield for the Albion. 
during his time. That'll be your extended third clue info. Out of interest, while you're thinking about that, Peter, do you know this? I've messaged you. I think I, I think I got it the first time. To be honest, I've messaged you on WhatsApp. Ah, okay. I'll have a look while we're chatting. I think I think I know it. Uh, yeah, you have got it right. Yeah, yeah. Let's. I don't know. Brian Horton. Yes, you've got it. Excellent. All right. Yeah, you got it right on the third go. Yeah, excellent. That's good. Yeah. yeah so that gets you three points at least. So that's some respectability up to six. Um, yeah, the other the other clues. Um, well, I was going to go on to say about managing Port Vale Albion and go into a bit more detail about his club career. Um, the fifth clue would have been the one that would have done it. Nickname was Nobby. <laughs> I think everyone would. Yeah, have got I, it. I would have got it at that point, no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Luckily, okay. it didn't come to that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you've saved a little bit there because uh, I think you're probably feeling a bit of pressure on the three points. Yeah, I was. Yeah. Six. Um, you got six points, so you're on the board. We'll see where you finish at the end of the season. And that concludes the end of episode 27 of this, um, well, of Brighton Rock. Um, thanks for coming on to this one. We're going to continue our conversation, actually, a little bit later on this Sunday afternoon as part of what will become episode 28 with the great Ditchling gent, Raymond, also joining us. So you'll be back for that, won't you, Richard? I will, yeah. Fantastic. We will look forward to speaking to you again shortly. And to you too, Peter. Cheers, Cheers. all. Stand up all. Love the Albion. Cheers. Cheers. Sports Social Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.